0: Our strategy at Buzz really is we we sort of identified at a very high level three areas that we're interested in. One is home services, as you've shared. We would throw British Swim School into what we would call the child enrichment areas. You think about where people spend their money a lot. They spend their money on homes. They spend their money on their kids and on their pets. And so those would be the three spaces we we would want to have a presence in. Uh, We don't have anything on the pets right now. We're looking at a couple of opportunities in the child uh, enrichment area. But when we saw British Swim School, what we saw was a founder that was super passionate about what she had built, but she was really undercapitalized and under resourced. And we just felt like we could really apply the toolkit that Buzz had developed. Welcome
1: to Franchise Empires, where aspiring entrepreneurs learn exactly what it takes to become a successful franchise owner, from one location to 10 and beyond. I'm the Wolf of Franchises. Hey everyone, it's The Wolf. Today in the show we have Kevin Wilson, the founder and CEO of multi-brand franchise platform, Buzz Franchise Brands. Kevin got his start in franchising back in the 90s when he quit his corporate consulting job to start a bagel franchise with his friends. Since then, his professional career has taken him to South Africa, Mexico, and then back to America where he's now building one of the most impressive multi-brand franchise companies in America. I hope you enjoy. The Wolf of Franchises is the CEO of Wolfpack Franchising, as well as a creator at Workweek Media. All opinions expressed by The Wolf and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Wolfpack Franchising or Workweek. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. The Wolf, Workweek,
0: and Wolfpack Franchising may maintain positions in the franchises discussed on this podcast.
1: Are you considering investing in a franchise? Let me tell you about a great opportunity. British Swim School is a survival-based swim program with affordable startup costs and all of the training and support you'll need as an owner. When it comes to franchising you just got to jump into the deep end sometime. For more information, visit www.britishswimschoolfranchise.com. That's www.britishswimschoolfranchise.com. I kind of want to start at the beginning because you've had such an interesting career. I know you worked at Bain and then you left to start what became a bagel franchise. Uh, I don't know if you intended to franchise it from the get-go, but I would first want to start at what drove you because, you know, I actually have a brother who works at Boston Consulting Group. So I'm I'm aware of like the, that world and how hard it is to, to get a position at those companies and and the career path you're on is obviously, you know, pretty spectacular. So what just drove you to say, you know what, I'm going to put this on pause and leave it and
0: start a bagel shop. You know, I think part of it was I was always, always really entrepreneurial as a kid and you're right about Bain. I mean, it was a it was a tough place to get a job at. Once you got there, it was a tough place to work. There were long hours. You were around a lot of really capable people, and I liked it. And I felt like it was really a continuation of my education. But what I really had passion for was starting my own business. And you know, one of the things with Bain, I was traveling all over the place and had the opportunity to try all these different bagel shops. When I traveled, you know, there was Noah's Bagels on the West Coast, H and H up where you're up where you're from in New York, and um, it was nothing like that in Dallas. So I thought that would be pretty cool to start. something. I think it was one bagel store at the time in all of Dallas. And so with my brother and another good friend, we opened our first location. And, and the goal wasn't really, we weren't sure. I mean, we weren't sure what, how we were gonna grow. We just added a store, we added another store, and then we began to learn about franchising. A guy named Joe Croce at CC's Pizza, he was the founder of CC's, so met him and uh, learned a little bit more about it. And we decided to uh, jump into franchising.
1: The CC's founder, was he he based
0: in Dallas at the time? uh, Yeah, he was in Carrollton, Texas. And uh, actually a lawyer that we we got introduced to, to help us with our franchise documents and didn't work for CC's. So made the introduction and uh, just really spent some time with him and learned what he had learned about franchising. And uh, Tried not to make, repeat some of the mistakes he had made. Uh, we made a whole bunch of different mistakes, <laughs> but of course, but it was fun. It was great. I mean, you, we, we were young. I was, I was 20, 27, 28, something like that. I was, I was pretty young. Cool.
1: No, I mean, I love it. I, I love the uh, kind of just the chutzpah. and I, I think there's something, something about young entrepreneurs. Like I, I imagine you and your brother and your friend, where you just. You don't necessarily have like, not to say that you didn't have a business plan, but you kind of just like let's just do it and figure it out. Uh, there's like that energy where I, I think as people maybe they lose almost like that. It's like a beautiful naivete, effectively, you know, when
0: people start a business. So I think that's right. Me, you know, I was I was newly married. My brother, and my friend, weren't married, so you didn't have a lot of responsibilities. You were living for the moment a little bit. We talk about it even to this day with when the three of us i mean we're all still very close and we talk about those times when we just you know we're we're sort of flying by the seat of our pants making a lot of things up as we went along and uh every day was new and we'd work like heck too i mean we're well oh, i imagine years, so yeah what was
1: you know if you can recall what, what was franchising even like back then you know obviously now with the internet I mean, I don't think FDDs were a
0: thing back in the 90- Yeah, they, they, they were called UFOCs at the time. Uniform weren't franchise offering circulars. Um, and um, it was, yeah, it was, it was a mouthful. People sort of reversed it and had a different acronym for it. But there was, um, it, like, I ran the company, but I was also doing franchise sales. I, I was the CFO doing the numbers. And then we were negotiating leases. We were doing buildouts. We had de- dedicated a lot of, uh, but it was just the three of us. And we did, it was a bootstrap startup too. Like we didn't yeah. really raise money, not like what I'm doing now, where we raised a good amount of money to start. It was, uh, it was the three of us doing everything. And uh, so, you, you know, we, we didn't have the really formal training systems that we do now. There, there was just a lot of things. We, the key thing, we found people that wanted to sort of jump on it with us and we were going to learn together. And so it worked out. It was fun.
1: It's just so interesting to me, obviously, with the internet now and like, you know, most of the, let's call it franchise sales slash lead gen is done via, you know, just online resources. So uh, yeah, it just fascinates me basically like what marketing would have looked like back then.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a lot of like local marketing. We would do direct mail drops, you know, we didn't have any, you know, like there's a very formal process now for recruiting franchise lease back then It's just why don't you show up We'll put you in the store for the day Usually a Friday morning We put you on the cash register And uh, you see all these people Coming through the store And you got to figure out if you like it. And if you like it And we liked you You're a know, franchisee Wow <laughs> so, Oh man Damn. No marketing webinars No operational webinars I mean it was just Do you like us? Do we like you? Do you like the business? Okay not yeah. complicated Let's sign the agreement We'll find you a lease build up the store and the same thing will happen. Customers will show up.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Holy crap. That's funny.
1: Uh, (laughs) Love it. It's simple. Uh, It's definitely, you know, nice and simple. All right. Well, the thing that I really found interesting when I was kind of learning about your, let's call it like origin story is I think, uh, what was it? It was called Benny's bagels, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you grew it to around, I think like 28 or 30 stores and i don't know if either you kind of sold your shares or you guys decided to sell the entire business and franchise but ultimately you moved to south africa for a job for an airline company yeah so i mean one like you like you said you're married i know a lot of people in my social circle who just i mean let's let's call it what it is a lot of people don't necessarily take risks or take leaps i mean you moved to a totally separate continent and you left behind what appeared to be a growing franchise so
0: what was going on there. It was interesting because you, we, we had grown at, like you said, about 30 stores. The three of us, you know, looked at each other and said, you know, it, you know it's probably time. I think my, my brother wanted to move back to, uh, I'm originally from Canada. If he wanted to move back and we all looked at him, we said, you know, maybe now's the time to sell the business. itself. So while we were doing that, my wife also worked at a company, and just to be clear, i didn't actually go from uh, bagels to, to airlines, although I did. I had some background in airlines when I was at Bain & Company. So that would that was the tie-in. And so I got recruited. There was a Bain Company, former Bain & Company partner that had just been named CEO of South African Airways. Uh, he was recruiting a team, his management team. He had a dedicated bank team that was doing work for him down there, but he wanted to recruit executives. And so he hired me to run the cargo operation Uh, And I have to admit, like, I mean, when I went down and I interviewed with him and the team and I saw Johannesburg, and Johannesburg at the time was a really dangerous place. I mean, it was a dangerous neighborhood. It was, you know, I think it was sort of on the scale of where Baghdad was at the time. So it was not an easy decision. Like I made a lot of decisions. That wasn't an easy one. But I said, you know what? If, you know, somebody told me once that the opportunities are there, you know, just be willing to say yes and make it happen. Just jump in there and see what would, uh, and, and I, you know, I bit off a lot. It was it was fun, but I, I went from just a small operation with two partners to running a much larger organization that historically really hadn't made money. The airline industry is a very tough industry to make money in. So I don't regret it. I mean, South Africa, the overall experience was wonderful. South Africa was incredible. Uh, the people down there were wonderful. I learned a lot you know, work like heck, but, uh, it was, it was definitely worth it. It's fascinating. Just, uh, and like
1: not only the business side of it, but just, yeah, the, the personal side to take that jump and, and move into a totally different culture and city. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't, I can't imagine, you know, I, I moved from New York to Austin as we were talking about before recording. <laughs> and that, you know, to me, that was like, I had to like go through kind of, you know, the mental ringer, uh, in a way. To just be like, yeah, like let's take that leap. But Dallas to South Africa is a whole other level. Yeah, well, I, I am curious, you know, because today, right, everyone I spoke to, you know, I talked to a lot of people within the franchise industry and, you know, uh, you know a few folks is like, oh, yeah, I'm interviewing uh, Kevin Wilson of, of Buzz Franchise Brands uh, in a few days. And every every single person, like, like oh, he, I've heard a lot of great things about him. Like, awesome guy, like super impressive what he's built. So you are very highly revered in the industry, in the franchise industry. But at the same time, you almost have this like, you've had this separate career where you did the South African Airways turnaround and, and were a big part of that there. And then I know at, at one point you, um, I believe, did you found that airline in Mexico, Valeris, that is, you know, I it's on the New York Stock Exchange with over a billion dollar market cap.
0: Did you found that company or were you part I think a better two would be co founder So you we're know, going okay. to a operation. But but I think initially the idea of of doing something like that was mine. I, I I worked with a small team. We wrote a business plan for the creation of a new airline. I mean, what we saw was 12 airlines in Mexico that in our view, none of them were doing a great job. They were high cost. They, they didn't have anything like what today would be like a frontier or a spirit. And so we got our our fund to commit. Uh, money to it. And then we we'll raised uh, some other money from a couple of wealthy Mexican billionaires, somebody from El Salvador. And we put a hundred million dollars into the business and started with six aircraft. And today, those 13 airlines are down to three. We're now the largest with about 125 aircraft. Um, and yeah, it's the same management team in there running it. I mean, they're just fantastic. So, you know, I'm really proud yeah. you know, I was, you know, it was, it was a little bit, you know, the inspiration up front, but you know, all the hard work has been done by the team that's there now and the board that's overseeing them. So they've done a great job. Super interesting.
1: And obviously this is a franchise podcast, but well, you know, I like to yeah. go with the conversation and I think people are generally pretty curious when it comes to all businesses. So I'm sure it's incredibly complicated, but in a nutshell, like, how do you make money in the as an airline business? Like you got your planes, you got a lot of gasoline and fuel you got to pay for. And you got stewardesses, pilots. I mean, you said you started with six airplanes. That's not a lot. Like I got to imagine, like United Airlines has hundreds, right? Hundreds. Um, it, you know, like what's the name of the game? Like it's just the ticket sales, and the planes have to, in aggregate, make more profit than you're spending on all that other stuff.
0: Yeah. So you know, I, I think we we back up when we wrote the plan, we were trying to understand why no one had been successful in Mexico. That was the first thing. And so we just had to figure that out. And the first thing we realized was that everybody was operating out of the Mexico City Airport, which was an airport that was already full. So you couldn't really grow at all. And you need to be able to grow. So there was an airline that was west of the city. It looked like it would work well. So we we worked with the government to have them work on that. We got a uh, We found a good management team uh, and then overall the a high level of strategy was we were going to be a low-cost airline. And so your your question, how do you make how do you make money in the airline industry? You know, I think you can make it in a turnaround situation. I think you could make it as being a low-cost uh provider. And that's really what we focus on. It's what Frontier focuses on, others. And that that seems to that seems to work really well. And so what does that mean? It means having a common common fleet of aircraft a common pilot pool flight attendants can go from one aircraft to another same with the pilots your parts the inventory that you need is consistent across air, aircraft types we have a Airbus family 320s 321s and so and then just having a really good team that knows how to how to really execute and so it's a tough industry though And when you see things like last year when oil spiked and fuel spiked that really hurts for its an yeah. airline like ours, but you sort of you know that's not going to be forever, and so you just weather that storm. And these guys have weathered a lot of storms over the time. But you know we're all over the U.S. now, all over Mexico, Central America, and down into South America. It's a great airline. It's and it is probably the one of the top two or three lowest cost airlines uh, in the world. So they've really done a great job. But it was fun. It was, it was it, and it's been fun watching watching them continue to grow and execute. So twenty five aircraft they expect to double again over the next few years. So it's just going to be a, a great, great story. But, you know, compared to franchising, uh, franchising is, is a probably a lot more fun and uh, a little bit easier to make money in.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would say, I mean, um, the capital outlay that you'd need to even start a, a airline business is obviously a lot higher than it's needed for the franchise uh, industry. Well, yeah, let, and let's talk about that. So, I mean, I know like as part of, you know, you launched Valerius, I know you did some work in private equity, but at a certain point, you end up acquiring a home services franchise. I think it was a pest control business, Mosquito Joe. It's almost the same question as you were working at Bain, you jumped into Benny's, Benny's Bagels. You know, what caused you to leave private equity and what I would imagine was a very well-paying job to acquiring a local pest control business?
0: For me, it was it was really Wanted to get back into doing something on my own and running a business and, and growing, leading a team of a business. Yeah. In private equity, you're looking at a lot of different things, you're making some investments, and then you're sitting on the board of those companies and, and trying to help them. And it's very different than being in the trenches every day and, and try to make it happen. And so got introduced to some guys that had started the company called Mosquito Joe. They had a couple trucks, a couple hundred customers. But the service was pretty cool. I mean, they come to your backyard, they spray. The stuff they spray adheres to the leaves and gets rid of all the mosquitoes. I mean, yeah, you know, who won't like that? That seems like a pretty cool, cool thing. So I looked at, uh, so we worked a deal to buy the business. They stayed in as investors. We raised some money. I put a plan together. And yeah, you know, I guess that'd be the one thing I'd say yes. is that I spent a lot of time putting a very detailed plan together, really stressing the plan of how much money I was going to need to execute it, how many people I was going to need, what they were going to do. And then once I'd made the decision just to jump, I sort of never looked back. You know, I never questioned the plan. I sort of just went right after it and executed and hired a great team. Uh, many of them are still with me today. And then we just kept we just kept growing the business. We got some great franchisees, especially the initial franchisees we got early on, just some outstanding individuals. And um we really felt like we were all in this together and we just we grew it and it took off. I mean, it really took off and we were. We were out roaming our competitors two to one, either news, new units, how well our franchisees were doing. We track everything too. So we, you know, we really, we did a good job of, of using the data to help make decisions. And so it was quite a ride and it was a lot of fun.
1: You mentioned this plan. Did that plan include this, you know, today Buzz has four franchise brands and we'll, we'll touch on all of them. But, you know, yeah, was that plan that you initially wrote including that? Or is it just Mosquito Joe? It was
0: just Mosquito Joe. When I raised money for the business from investors, I said, look, this is this is the plan. This is what I think is possible. I'm going to be an investor in this business myself, a big investor. But right now we're talking Mosquito Joe. In the back of my mind, I knew that if that went well, there were other models out there at the time like Wire, now Neighborly, others that had multi-brand franchising companies. That was always in the back of my mind, but I knew that none of that would happen if we weren't successful with the first one. And so we just worked really hard at that. And then we did make a decision to say, you know, we put our consultant hats on and uh, we said, you know, why, why is Ski Job Joe being so successful? Uh, so that, that led us to say, okay, well, if we can do, you know, we have a pest control, you know, fun, sexy, funny. Uh, we could probably do that with other other service brands. And so we started looking out all the brands or all the services that a homeowner would receive. and then we went from there. But it was always initially it was always just Mosquito Joe, and that was the plan to make it make it big. And we wanted to differentiate ourselves in the marketplace too. We didn't want to be this brand that had mosquitoes flying all over their logo with <laughs> everything right? It was just we wanted
1: to be different. Ready to dip your toes into the world of franchising? We've all taken swimming lessons at some point in our lives. It's just one of those industries where there will always be a steady revenue stream. British Swim School is a franchise dedicated to teaching children how to swim. With over 40 years of experience, they're a true purpose-driven brand looking to make a positive impact in the community. With no hidden costs of build-out, maintenance, or upkeep, future franchisees can enjoy affordable startup costs, and all of the training and support they need, thanks to their parent company, Buzz Franchise Brands. You don't even have to get wet. For more information, visit www.britishswimschoolfranchise.com. That's www.britishswimschoolfranchise.com. Mosquito Joe got uh, acquired, right, I think around 2018. From, I guess, you as an entrepreneur, obviously an exit is exciting for a lot of reasons, but you weren't cashing out your chips and retiring obviously because you're you're still working today with four brands and and whatnot but I guess I'm asking you know was that a end of a chapter per se in the buzz journey in the sense that were you able to i don't want to say free yourself but you know you had a liquidity event for your past investors, so were you able to then move forward and it was like and buzz had the the funds and resources already at that point to work within their own without any Complicated cap table attached to it.
0: Yeah. So yeah, great question. I mean, so backing up, the, the decision to sell, you know, really came from those original meetings with my investors when when I raised money, and there was a commitment that I made to get money back to them over a five to six year period or so. Okay. And and so I, I wanted to honor that commitment. I had to figure out you know, how do I do that. You know, do I put debt on the business? I didn't really want to do that. Do I sell the whole company? I love what I'm doing. I didn't want to do that. So where we settled in, that we you know, we had a, I had removed myself from managing the day to day activities in Mosquito Joe, and so we just carved Mosquito Joe off. and had a dedicated team running it. The people that helped me get Mosquito Joe to where it was were already on the other side of the business, helping Cool Scouts and and, and Home country Heroes grow. So we ran a process. We found a. We found a great home with them with with Neighborly. They're experienced franchisors. They are private equity backed, but they're experienced franchisors that know how to uh, run a business and treat franchisees. So we felt like it was a really good combination. So, you know, so there was that liquidity event, and what it did is it freed me up from that that commitment. We distributed some cash to the uh, investors, and then we held back money to grow these other brands, and then ultimately acquire British Swoop School. And, you know, looking at other opportunities. So it was actually, it was a, on one, it was a bittersweet decision to be really honest that I mean, um, yeah. we were really close with those franchisees. It was difficult, the separation simply because, you know, we were all in this together and now we were going to go in different ways, but I felt like we handled it well. Uh, we're still close with those franchisees. Many of them have come back and are franchisees of other brands uh, that we have now. So, but that, that was the tough part about it, but you know, you, you have to do what, you know, you've said you would do it on our commitments that were made and that's what we tried to do. And, and now we're back really in growth mode. And you're right. I mean, I love what I was doing. I was never, i never viewed this as, Hey, this is, I'm going to go hang out on the beach now for the rest of my life. <laughs> you know, I just, I like what I'm doing. And so I never wanted to wanted to do that. I, I think I'll I'll never retire. I mean, I just sort of really like what I'm doing.
1: Yeah. I've had folks on here who, who at definitely varying levels of success and scope of taking on investments, but uh, yeah. I just like to touch on it. I think it's I think it's always important for someone in that founder executive role to just consider, you know, there's trade-offs with taking on money, taking on investors, being able to kind of have your freedom if you're able to pay back those investors. So yeah, I, I appreciate all the insight you just gave us there. So looking at the Buzz portfolio today, I mean, I know you have, for people listening, I'll just quickly go through the portfolio so we can kind of set the table here. You have pool scouts, you know, which is pool cleaning, maintenance, and repair services. British Swim School, uh, which is effectively swim lessons, and even I would probably like broader water survival skills, right, for young children and 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 maybe even infants. Home Clean Heroes, a residential cleaning company, as well as the newest one, Grand Illumination, so professional lighting for uh, your home during the holidays. And I know uh, from speaking with Angela on your team that. You guys have have plans to kind of turn that into a a full year-round business for lighting purposes. So three out of the four are pretty clear-cut, what I would categorize as like a home services franchise that, you know, businesses like lawn mowing and gutter cleaning and things of that nature, right? Like the three out of the four are are in that realm. British Swim School is obviously a bit different, but is there a common thread there uh, that you saw with that one uh, as far as like how it operates similarly to home services?
0: Our strategy at Buzz really is we we sort of identified at a very high level three areas that we're interested in. One is home services, as you've shared. We would throw British Swim School into what we would call the child enrichment areas. You think about where people spend their money a lot. They spend their money on homes. They spend their money on their kids and on their pets. And so those would be the three spaces we we would want to have a presence in. Uh, We don't have anything on the pets right now. We're looking at a couple of opportunities in the child uh, enrichment area. But when we saw British Swing School, what we saw was a founder that was super passionate about what she had built, but she was really undercapitalized and under resourced. And we just felt like we could really apply the toolkit that Buzz had developed and bought the business. Uh, we were able to double the resources effectively overnight. And that business probably, by the end of this year, will have tripled under our ownership size, uh, not just in units grown, but just overall franchisees and how well they, they've done. So. It's a great business. I mean, you know, the interesting part of that business, the franchisees are different, meaning they had this, it's a purpose-driven brand too. So people get, I mean, it's very fulfilling for them to be able to teach survival skills to infants with their parents and knowing that if anything wants to happen, that child, if they fell into the water, they're in a bathtub, they would know how to roll over on their back and survive. And it is, it is a big, big issue in this country. And so- yeah, yeah. For, you know, number one cause of death for, for children under the age of five is drowning. And when we, no way. Yeah, it's a, bi- it's a really big issue. And when we went through the pandemic, I mean, you know, they shut down the pools. The pools yeah. were for a period of time, anywhere from six months to a year, were shut down, which meant swim lessons were shut down, survival skill lessons were shut down. And it was a real problem. They're all open now. But I would, yeah, anybody that's listening, if you've got a young child, a baby, Find a find a place nearby and get them into into the into schools. There's lots of them out there, but yeah, they, everybody needs to know how to and survive.
1: Yeah, I had no idea uh, that that w- that would be the number one cause of death. Honestly, okay, well that's that's good to know for any parents listening to this. I'm curious too on that on British Swim School in particular. There are like you said, there's some other businesses out there doing this, but the model for British Shrimp School, I like from you know I'm big on looking at the numbers, return on invested capital, all that good stuff. It's a capital light model, right? Where you guys go in to towns, maybe even like, I don't know, local YMCAs or gyms with pools and you kind of like rent them, I think. Like, Correct. So you don't have to build your own pools, no. bottom line. But there, there are franchises that similar concept in the sense that they teach water survival skills or swim lessons of sorts. However, it's you build your own facility and a massive pool. So it's a much higher capital investment. Yeah, we're talking folks in the you know multiple millions of dollars build-outs uh, for those franchises, whereas British Swim School is coming in at a, at a much lower investment level if you want it to get up and running. So if you want to talk to maybe the benefits of that model and why you cho- – I know you you acquired it from the founder, but you know, I imagine you, there's probably a lot of things that you like about that kind of model where you don't have to build the asset itself. You can kind
0: of utilize existing facilities. Yeah, there's a lot of that was one of the one of the things that attracted to us where it was consistent with our other businesses we own was the low investment level. And you're right. We do have we do have competitors in the in the swim lesson space that build pools, two to three million dollars usually they spend. It takes longer to get open, find a find a property, but they do have their own their own water, but it is a significant investment. Our approach has been, our view has always been that there's enough water out there that's underutilized right now like you know think of the last time you you go to a hotel do you ever see anybody in the pool right it almost is always always empty and there's all these ho- the hotels are building they got pools or fitness centers and all we need is a lane you know we don't even need the full pool we need a lane and um you know instructor typically will have four kids uh we come in we pop a tent up it's the changing tent that's on deck. The, the child is there with their uh, parent. Child can go into the tent, change, come out, jump into the water, and start the lesson. So it's it's super simple. We do have some franchisees that over time have built up a really good brand in their community and an opportunity came to convert a pool. But even converting a pool that they can open, it's, it's a few hundred thousand dollars, five or six hundred thousand dollars. It's not the millions. Yep. So I just like those. It, I mean, you're literally right with fishing in different pools, if you will. Like when we're recruiting franchisees, it's just it's a completely different type of individual that can afford to do what we're doing, as opposed to doing that large capital investment. And they're, they're, some of them are doing very well. The big guys are doing very well, but you know, we're in probably 350 pools. I think we're probably the largest by the number of pools yep. that we're in. Which ultimately the goal is to is to reach as many people as possible and teach them how to survive in the water and do that with some great local uh, business owners. And so we've got a lot of great, great owners in that business.
1: For folks wondering, British Swim School is the largest uh, swim school franchise. Uh, You can check that out on Crockett.com. So self plug for my little software platform that we launched. Uh, I was researching franchises. (laughs) Um, But yeah, you, you would see that on Crockett, folks, if you checked it out. Oh well, I also want to say too. I, I I mean I'm I don't know for sure, but I would imagine, I mean, what well, you guys might know cuz you have the you have pool scouts to repair and maintain pools for people. I mean, I got to imagine the upkeep on a pool, especially we're talking about massive size pool. I mean, there's a lot of plumbing. It's a totally different. It brings so many new elements to the business that I mean, like you said you're renting out hotel pools for, you know, multiple times a week or or whatever it is. Uh, you, you do your classes and you leave. It's a lot different than you know if that pool is an issue. You're the one on the phone who has to fix fix it. It's just yeah.
0: a totally different ball game. Completely different ballgame. game. I mean, pools are pools are like a you know owning a boat. I mean, there's something's always is, is always breaking on. us. why our other businesses is, is it's, works well where we know that. I think our pool cleaning business at least, I think the numbers are 25% of all pools every year have something that breaks on them that needs to be fixed. So yeah, it's, it's a simple model. It's a great team. It's a large sales and marketing type company, but great instruction too. Really, really good curriculum.
1: You mentioned like your franchisee base lightly. I, I want to kind of give people an idea of Because if you buy into a franchise brand, uh, just a singular brand that's maybe not a part of a platform like like Buzz franchise brands, right? You you live your life with that franchisor um, and whatever support team they have, and that's kind of it. But if I buy into one of Buzz's brands, you know, there's brand specific personnel, effectively, right? Uh, But like, what is the I don't know what we want to call it—the buzz impact, the buzz effect. Where you know, do is—are you guys kind of overseeing the personnel? And I know you have a, like a bit of a shared services model, but can you gotta kind of paint that picture so people understand, like, what
0: that? Each business we own, we set it up individually. It's it's separately capitalized. It'll have a president of the business. It'll have a leadership team, which would be a director of marketing, a director of operations, probably a director of any type of technical, and then we'll have a series of coaches, franchise business coaches, marketing support. And that is the standalone entities that, that, that work with the franchisees day to day. And then as you mentioned, we do have that shared services platform. And the best way to think about that is wherever there was commonality in our businesses, we created a vertical that really helped them. So in the marketing, as, as an example, and you, you mentioned Angela, she oversees this for us, but it's like an in-house agency with a lot of functional experts. So we got a, you know, digital experts, direct mail, videography, blogging, content development, all experts that can cut across those brands. And so if, you know, from a franchisee's perspective, they'll get, say British Swim School, 17 dedicated individuals for that brand. And then there's another 15 or so that are also supporting a brand from the shared services. Uh, the analytics platform that we have is pretty strong. That's that's probably if they're, if the if people were talking about a a buzz brand what's different one would be the marketing and the support that we provide and then the other one would be the analytic rigor that we take to looking at the business and helping franchisees with decision making you know we don't own any of our software it's all cloud based but we use a business intelligence tool that really helps us hone in on how the business is doing and if it's not doing well we can really course correct uh, very quickly so um, it's a, it's a great tool. So those are the and then training is the third third vertical that we have, which is you know our learning management system, sharing good content, and developing good content. So, but it's a it's a powerful powerful brain powerful support structure for the franchisees. Ultimately, our success, the whole model. I mean, for this this is where it should be this way for franchising, and I think it's gotten off the rails sometimes. But our model is. The only way we're going to be successful is if our franchisees are successful. So that's a big, a big deal.
1: Now, I I completely agree. I love the uh, kind of value alignment there. I also think it's really interesting uh, and very beneficial that you're able to provide like business coaches for your franchisees. Uh, something I've noticed in researching and speaking to so many franchises over the last few years is that. Many franchises they do an adequate, you know, a good enough job on training someone how to run the business, but that's different than like training them how to be a business owner. Um So yeah, I, lo- I love that you, you kind of have that built into the to the support structure. You know, I'm curious too about for I've looked at the numbers, and if folks subscribe to the Wolf Report, you know, you you received the deep dive on Buzz franchise brands that kind of broke down all the numbers. I mean. Everything you know, as Kevin said, it's it's lower capital investment franchises. They're all they're very transparent in their FTDs, which is why I was happy to to you know cover them and dive in. And the numbers all show uh, really good you know potential for uh, you know what your potential returns could be. Grand Illuminations, you know, I, I know. Uh, I mean, they, again, like Home Clean Heroes, Pool Scouts, they all look like great businesses. Um, I am curious about Grand Illuminations though. So a holiday lighting business. You know, and that's your most recent kind of let's call it venture. Is that meant to be just like an add on in that you know, where? Hey, in the holiday season, you can make some extra revenue because there are businesses that they turn out a lot of revenue in the month of December. and Then you're off the rest of the year, basically. But or is that going to be? Do you you know? Do you think that could be a more year round lighting business?
0: The initial thought was it could be both over time, but let's just focus in initially on. That holiday season, and, and we we went about this developing this brand or incubating this business a little bit differently. And We started with right out of the gate, fourteen franchisees. They were franchisees of our other brands, specifically Pool Scouts, Skeeto Joe, and then I think one or two from uh, from British Swim School. But really, the idea was, and I, I think you, you, you were you were pointing this out, in our seasonal businesses, they would typically have to lay off their their technicians. You know the October, November timeframe, and then higher than back like up against February. This really yeah. helps bridge the shoulder season, and so we were able to, I think, recruit some of the best franchisees we know of how to run businesses, and they they launched with us uh, last season, and uh, I mean it went great. It's it's a great business. People pay you a lot of money to hang lights on their gutters and their roof line, yeah. and I think over time it will evolve into other seasonal type offerings. Uh, special events type offerings, and then we'll open it up to more broadly other people that are interested in doing this uh, that might not even have a franchise now. So we just started initially with people that we really knew well, uh, and they really helped us think through a lot of the details of the business, including who's the guy that's going to go up the ladder. I didn't even <laughs> I didn't even know that was a thing. You know, I I spent summers painting painting homes and shingling roofs and running up and down a ladder was just, you know, part of the, part of the deal. And, um, but apparently there's a lot of people that don't like getting up on ladders. So.
1: uh, Yeah, no, uh, I, before I got deep into franchise, I was in the HVAC world. So spent some time on on roofs, both houses and commercial buildings. And I, I had to go up the ladders, but I did not like it. Um, yeah, no, it's, uh, I, I won't sign myself up for that again. (laughs) Um, Well, uh, look, this has been a fun conversation, Kevin. I think just wrapping up here, I'm curious. One last question is, what is the, if you even have it, I mean, it sounds like you guys are having fun and you've had consistent, steady growth. And and I like the fact that it's responsible growth. I'm not going to paint a broad stroke on other multi-brand platforms. Uh, You know, I, I think it's always... In a way, it's encouraging to see when multi brand platforms grow and add more brands, but at the same time, for me, there's always the concern of, you know, well, how are they able to continue supporting all their franchisees as they just add more and more to the system uh, rapidly, right? It's yeah, I think anyone listening, you should be asking that question if you are looking at a franchise that maybe is a part of a broader platform in that scenario. But so with that said, I mean, just I guess kudos to the responsible growth, but you know, also, do you have a specific plan, vision? Like, do you, do you have a goal and or a star for Buzz and how many brands or how many franchisees that you want to get
0: to one shot? No, not not really. I mean, we've we've got some internal goals that we've set out that are not, you know, it's maybe adding a new business every year, every 18 months, but also not being in a position where we're forced to do something that we don't want to do or if it's not a get yeah. to us. So, we have bigger goals for the businesses that we currently own. one of the one of the hallmarks of all of our businesses is really significant year over year growth and not just okay. not just adding franchisees, but same store sale growth, you know, driving the growth of our franchisees. And that's a really, really important thing for us. We talk more about that than we do other businesses. We've got a team that looks for businesses to buy, but that's more important than anything else for us. So and then there's no, you know, I'm pretty young still. I mean, I feel young, so I'm playing in this <laughs> for for a while. We've got a young team and a great team that's uh, that's been with us for a long time, so uh, we can do this for for a while. So no, yeah, no final thing. Yeah,
1: that's awesome. Uh, now, I mean, again, I lo- I love the uh, the value alignment. Uh, it's actually rare that that I hear that that someone's focusing on same store, you know, sales growth uh, amidst the existing franchisee base. El- I get it. Like franchising is a growth game, a narrative game, in a, in a lot of ways, so people do need to focus on new units, new franchisees. But a lot of times, that becomes the only focus, and that's where usually the problems start coming into play. Is when existing franchisees aren't getting the support and the attention. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So I, I love what you guys are doing. With that in mind, is there anywhere uh, online where people can either follow you or, or you know learn more about Buzz franchise
0: brands? Yeah, and we're and we're all over social. Um for me personally, LinkedIn is probably the best place. It's Kevin Wilson with Buzz Franchise Brands. We also have a Buzz Franchise Brands LinkedIn page. You can follow that. And then our webpage is buzzfranchisebrands.com. And uh, you can go there to see all this stuff. But yeah, I'd love to. Uh, you know, we're constantly posting and keeping people updated on how the businesses are going. So, but this has been great. I really appreciate you um, inviting me on the show.
1: Yeah, no, it was a lot of fun, Kevin. Uh, I know you got a flight to catch, so uh, we'll let you go. Kevin's going on vacation, everyone. So uh, he was nice enough to do the podcast before doing that. But yeah, thanks again, Kevin. And uh, hopefully we talk soon.
0: Sounds great. Take care.
1: Thanks for listening to Franchise Empires. We're coming to you soon with actionable insights to take the next step on your franchise journey. So make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen.